Well, hi, and welcome to Zion. I am so excited about this word. As I've been meditating on this and preparing this over the last few weeks, I have felt a building excitement in my spirit. Today, I have a prophetic message to share with you. I've got scripture that's charged with the spirit of God, and I'm hoping that it wakes you up out of your slumber and it stirs you to respond to what the spirit of God is saying to you today. Welcome to Zion. I'm coming to you from a place that we call Zion. Now the name of Zion to us means the dwelling place of God, this place that is God's habitation, where God dwells with his people. In Hebrews chapter 12, we read that we have not come to a physical mountain, but a spiritual mountain. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in joyful gathering. You've come to the assembly of the first fruit of the believers. Where have you come? Zion, the dwelling place where God dwells with his people. As we continue to read in Hebrews chapter 12, we've got to be very, very careful because we understand that God says, hey, when I spoke at Mount Sinai, I shook the earth in a physical way. But now that you've come to Mount Zion, God says, I am going to shake all things. When God says, not only again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken so that only unshakable things remain. We have believed for a while that God is going to shake this world and oh my goodness, we are seeing it in this moment. We've been praying into this for years. God, that you would shake us, that you would waken us, that only the unshakable would remain. That is what we're experiencing right now. When the writer of Hebrews quoted this passage, they were actually quoting an Old Testament prophet called Haggai. So we turn back to Haggai. My spirit remains among you just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid, says God. For this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth and the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all nations will be brought to the temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than... Then it's past glory, says God, and in this place I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. This is a powerful prophetic message for us, God's people, his church. Jesus Christ is coming back for a victorious, radiant bride, and I'm going to speak about what that looks like today. But what I want to set the expectation for right at the beginning is that it would whet your appetite, that your spirit would rise, you'd be hungry to receive, that you'd lean forward in your chair, that you'd push your earbuds into your ear, that you'd be willing and open to receive a prophetic word from God today. For God says, I am shaking things, that my glory will fill the earth like never seen before. The glory of this temple today, says God, will be greater than its former glory. What God is doing in the earth, what he is causing to happen through the church will be greater than we've ever, ever seen before. And I'm wondering, do you want to be part of it? I believe God is calling the church to rise up. I believe God is saying to Zion today, I am establishing you as a house of glory. 
I do not mean a physical building. I mean the people gathered together as the body of Christ, as the house of the Lord, the dwelling place of God, his habitation, that he wants to establish us as a house of glory. What is the point of a house of a glory? A house of glory sits on a hill where others can see it, where they can see its light and be drawn to its light, where they can see its safety and be drawn to its safety, where they can see its wisdom and its counsel and be drawn to its wisdom and counsel. I believe God is establishing us as a house of glory, that he would be glorified and his name would be famous in the earth through us. Would you be willing to be part of that? As I've shared with you before, there's a quote that's really important for us to understand as we head into today's message. Before the glory and the joy, there will be a conviction of our need for holiness and purification. And that, my friends, is exactly why we're in the series called Embracing Holiness, that we, as the people of God, the, the bride of Christ, who is being prepared by Christ to be radiant and glorious and victorious in all the earth, that we would allow God to purify us. As we allow God to purify us, we would embrace His holiness. And today, I want to show you the glorious purpose in holiness. So let's get into this. What I want to do at the beginning is I want to read from Isaiah chapter 6, the beginning of Isaiah chapter 6. So swipe your Bibles across there, turn the page, however you get there. What I want to do is I want to show you two things. The first thing I want to look at is Isaiah's revelation. And the second thing I want to look at is Isaiah's response. Isaiah's revelation and Isaiah's response. So let's read from Isaiah chapter 6, starting at verse 1. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. So let's look at this passage of scripture and I want to point to a few things to understand what is the revelation that Isaiah had because we need to understand what does this revelation mean for us. Now what you'll see right at the beginning, you've already heard Phil Brown speak about in the previous message. This is message number five in the series and Phil Brown shared message number four where he talked about the death of Uzziah. And what we'll notice to repeat what he shared with us is the death of Uzziah represents the death of pride in our lives. You see, the key thing we've got to understand is the death of pride that ushers in humility. And humility is what's necessary for us to see the glory of the Lord. Get that point. The death of pride is what's necessary for humility to come into our lives. And humility is what enables us to have that revelation with God. You see, what we've got to have is a personal revelation of the Lord God Almighty. 
It's not enough for you to have my revelation. It's not enough for you to rely on your parents' revelation. It's not enough for you to rely on your spouse having a relationship with God. Each one of us needs a personal, face-to-face, deeply changing encounter with God. And my hope is that this spurs you into hungering and thirsting for an encounter with God. Come on, let's get a deep encounter happening with God. I know it's difficult when you're at home. I know it's difficult when you're frustrated. I know it's difficult when you're confused or fearful or uncertain. I know it's difficult when you're disconnected physically from those that you love. But the Lord is calling us. Come on, let's hear the word of the Lord. Let's respond to the call of God and let's come deeper into that place of encounter with God for that is what he desires. One of the things I want to make clear to you, which has been said many, many times through our our prayer meetings, um, and as you know, I'm on a bit of a journey researching the history of revival and the the outbreaking of God through, through times in history. But one of the things that's abundantly clear is that any corporate revival that's coming is the culmination of a bunch of personal revivals. What does that mean for us? We have to get on our knees. We have to get on our face. We have to seek God. We have to be desperate after his presence. Come back to the first love we have with Jesus. And there, when we meet God face to face, that encounter is what enables us to find holiness. What I also want you to take notice of here is that Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. And he does not use the Hebrew word Jehovah or Yahweh. He uses the word Adonai which means the Lord. And in my research, this means that he had a revelation of the pre-incarnate Christ sitting on his throne in heaven before he was born as a baby. Now, that's just messing with my mind. But you're going to find out why that is so vital to us when we look at other scriptures in a minute. What does this mean for us? We need to understand that Jesus is Lord now. He has always been Lord. He will always be Lord. But he wants to be Lord now. He wants to be on the throne of your heart. Jesus wants to be Lord of your life. Get a revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who became man in order that we could be reconnected with God as our Father. Jesus Christ, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. And then these famous words that you hear Isaiah utter, we read them later in Scripture, we read them all through Scripture. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. This is Jehovah Sabaoth. Um, I hope I said that right, but it's the Lord of the host of heavens. There is none higher, there is none greater. There is the, this is the Lord who commands the entire armies of heaven. This is the Lord who commands the wind and the rain, the seasons and the sun. This is the Lord of all. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. It's the proclamation that the seraphim are declaring. It's the proclamation that all the angels of heaven are declaring. It's the proclamation that we will spend eternity declaring. When we arrive in that heavenly place with Jesus, we will declare holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Why am I saying it three times? Well, in Hebrew, what they say is when they repeat that three times, it reinforces how important that is. This is God who is holy. This is God who is without fault. This is God who is perfect beyond our measure. This is God who is set apart. He is holy. He is separated from anything that is unholy. This is the Lord God who is sovereign. And this is the God we need a revelation of. This is the God Isaiah had a revelation of. And this is the God 
we need a revelation of. It says then that in this revelation, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The, the whole earth is filled with his glory. Well, hang on. This is not just the throne room that's filled with his glory. This is not just the, the temple of the Old Testament that's filled with his glory. They're saying the whole earth is filled with the glory of the Lord. Now, before I get into explaining this, I just need to reinforce how amazing this revelation is for you. You cannot go anywhere to escape the glory of God. You cannot hide from the glory of God. You cannot escape from it. You cannot hide from it. And this is a vital thing for us to understand. But the majestic splendor of God filling the earth is not unique to Isaiah's revelation. Let's very, very quickly bounce through some references. And I urge you, those of you that are hungry for meat, to grab these references and read them this week and ask God's Holy Spirit to speak to you. So what we read in this passage is Moses is interceding for the people. He's saying, God, do not kill them. They're your people you brought out of Egypt. And God says, I will pardon them from death as you've requested. But as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that promised land. There's a consequence for the denying of God. But God says this, you cannot dispute it. You will not change it. It is true as it has always been. The glory of the Lord fills the entire earth. Let's have a look at the second reference. You can see it on the screen there. Psalm chapter 72 and verse 19. Solomon writes this, Praise his glorious name forever. Let the earth, the whole earth, be filled with his glory forever and ever. This is a prophetic passage speaking about the coming of Christ and his glory will fill the earth forever and ever. And finally, a fantastic revival scripture, Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. The earth will be filled with the awareness of the glory of the Lord. We cannot escape the fact that God's glory is there for us to apprehend. It's for there for us to be, to be brought into. But the challenge, folks, is how do we, once we have this revelation, how do we move into that place of possessing that glory? Well, the key is holiness. Before I look at the response of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, I want to divert ourselves and our attention into the New Testament because what I'm proposing to you is this invitation to embrace holiness is all about our ability to access the glory that God has for us. And I want to point you to that because then I want to show you the pathway to it in Isaiah's response. So let's jump across to what is referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus, which is in John chapter 17. And here I want you to see something specific. So let's look. Jesus is praying in the garden. It's the night that he is arrested and he's praying for himself. He's praying for his disciples and he's praying for us. Let's have a look at what Jesus reveals to us. Because what I want you to see is what Isaiah saw. Firstly, in, in, in John chapter 17 and verse 5, we read these words. Jesus says, Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. You see, here's the thing. Jesus was always in the glory seat 
of God. Isaiah saw that when he looked into the heavens and he saw the Lord, Adonai, Jesus pre-incarnate, glorified in heaven. Jesus put that aside. He came to earth and here we've got confirmation that Jesus says, Father, bring me back into the glory we shared the before the world began. So glory is Jesus' possession. Let's keep reading and let's have a look at what he says next. In verse 10, he's praying for his disciples and he says, All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Well, hang on. Jesus was in glory state before the creation began. He put that aside and he came to earth. And now he's saying the disciples who he's praying for have given him glory. Well, we need to understand what that looks like. Well, the way we understand that is to look to some previous verses. So let's have a look at verse 7 and 8. John chapter 17, verse 7 and 8. Now the disciples, they know that everything I have is a gift from you, for I've passed on to them the message you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. The disciples here have glorified Jesus by receiving his message, accepting it as true, and confirming or agreeing with the fact that Jesus was sent as the Messiah by God himself. How do we come into a place where we glorify Jesus? We receive his message, we accept it as true, and we acknowledge he's the Son of God who came to live on earth. Let's keep reading though, because there's more for us to find. In verse 17, look at this. He says, in praying for us, he says, make them, us, holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. This idea here that um, he's saying, Father, make them holy. Other translations say, set them apart. We know that that means to consecrate, to purify, to sanctify. Set them apart. Make them holy in order that they would do your will. Jesus has been our example in holiness, and he's leading us into holiness. If only we would allow God, by his word, to make us holy. Let's keep looking. Verse 22, Jesus says this, I, Jesus says, have given them, that's us, the believers, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus is saying, come on, I've given them the glory that they need in order to live a life of partnership with God. This is amazing. Verse 24, Father, I want these. That's us, the disciples, followers of Jesus. I want these whom you've given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you love me even before the world began. This is outstanding when it comes to understanding glory. Father, I want these people to be in communion and fellowship with me so they can see all the glory I've got for them, which you've given me. Jesus is saying, I had the glory before the world was created. I put it aside and I came to earth, but I was glorified through the actions of the believers. And now I'm bringing them into the place in the heavenly realms where they can fully appreciate and apprehend the glory that God has set apart for him. Friends, our invitation by Jesus Christ is to come into the place of his 
glory, that we would apprehend his glory, that we would just take hold of it in order that we would live the lives he's got for us. You need to know why that is, and I'm going to explain it to you shortly. But let's keep looking. For a practical application, what I want you to do is to turn across, swipe across, get yourself to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. This is a really, really practical example that Paul writes to us as the church, which shows us something we need to access today. So let's have a look at Ephesians chapter 5. The specific passage I'm referring to starts in chapter 21. And if you look at the heading, you might be a little bit concerned because it says, here is the spirit-guided relationships for wives and their husbands. What's that got to do with glory? Well, Jesus is going to show us. Let's have a look at this. So we're speaking about how we're to live as husband and wives, submitting one to each other in love and surrender and yieldedness in order that we would truly serve each other in the purpose God has for us. But Paul says this is as the church submits to Christ. For as a husband is the head of the wife and Christ is the head of the church, the church submits to Christ there's a picture here that he says, look, wives and husbands submit one to each other. This is how the church, the believers, are submitting to Jesus. But watch why this is so important. For husbands, verse 25, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Well, that's easy. We can love our wives. Well, hang on. You need to know how to do that. He gave up his life for her. Well, husbands, if you're going to love your wives, you've got to die every day in order that they would be fully engaged in the love that you have for them. Just as Christ died for the church. Why did Christ do that? Let's keep reading. Verse 26. He gave up his life to make her, the church, the people, the believers, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. So the only way, Paul's saying, that we can fulfill our marriage life together is if we die and surrender to one another, just as Jesus died and surrendered. Now, why did Jesus die and surrender? Jesus died in order that we would be made holy. Go back to message number one. The only way we can ever access holiness and embrace holiness is through the work of Jesus Christ. That's the key message we've got to understand. Why did Jesus die to make the church holy? Let's look at verse 27. He, Jesus, did this to present her, the church, to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. What's the point? The way we live our lives in yieldedness to each other is, is the same way Christ lived, fully surrendered to the will of God in order that he would choose to embrace that submission to death in order that we would be set apart, that we would be made holy, that we would come into that place of connection with God in order that we would be presented as a glorious church. It's through our holiness that we can be presented glorious. This is the glorious goal of holiness, that we would, through holiness, be able to glorify God to the people around us. 
Well, before I get too far ahead of myself, I need to bring us back to Isaiah chapter 6. And what I'd love for us to look at, we looked at Isaiah's revelation, now we're going to look at Isaiah's response because his example is the key for you and me. So let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has his revelation of, of the Lord seated on the throne. The glory of God fills the temple. And then he says this, it's over, I'm doomed. From a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. I love the more traditional translation. It's the one that seems to come to memory. He says, woe is me. I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. What is he confessing? He's confessing his sinfulness. Here's my point. In the context of this thing, we need to see what's happening with Isaiah here. In the context of this passage, Isaiah has a revelation of the holiness of God and the glory of God. And in comparison, he realizes his sinful nature and he's completely undone to the point of confessing his sinfulness. That's the key. This becomes his moment of sanctification. Instantly, instantly, the seraphim respond to him. This is the moment of sanctification. This is the moment Isaiah is made holy. This is the moment he is atoned for and set apart for. And here's the key. God desires that we would have a revelation of who he is in order that we would have a revelation of who we are. So that when we know who we are, our sinful nature, our need for God, that we can respond in confession and say, I am unworthy. I am unclean. Woe is me. And God will instantly respond. And that's when he brings his holiness. That's when he makes us holy. And from that place, we can be set apart for the purposes of God. What I want you to see is this. Isaiah confessed his sinful nature before God. Why did he do that? Because he had a revelation of who God was. Friends, if you're not in a place where you can confess your sinful, weak nature before God, then I would propose to you that you haven't got a clear revelation of who God is. When we are undone by the revelation of God's holiness and His glory, our right human response is to confess our weakness and our need for God. I invite you today, wherever you are, however you find this message, whatever space you're in, whether you're in your lounge room, when you're sitting in your car, whether you're sitting in a cafe, whether you're walking in a park, take a moment to confess your sinfulness before God and He will respond. How do I know that? Because I read about it. Let's look at what happens. Woe is me, I'm undone. Then instantly, verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 6, one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he'd taken from the altar. He touched my lips and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. You see, when Isaiah acknowledged his sinfulness, Forgiveness was instant. Forgiveness was done by the hand of God. He was atoned for. He was forgiven. He was set apart and made holy by the work of God. Here's my point. God is willing and able to respond to our repentant hearts if only we would confess that we need Him to do His work in our lives. 
Okay, so I bring this message to a close. I want to share with you my desire today is that you would truly choose to receive this message as a prophetic message from God. That this is something that would stir your heart and compel you to respond, not to me, but to God. That you would get on your knees before Him to find that place where you can get a revelation of Jesus Christ on the throne of your heart. That you would understand that it's essential. You confess your weakness before God and He would be willing to respond immediately to consecrate, to sanctify, to set you apart, to make you holy, that you would be holy and set apart for his purposes. This is an opportunity we have. I feel like God is calling Zion into a place where he is establishing us. He's building us as a house of glory. Now, I don't mean that in a physical sense. I'm not talking about a building with walls. I'm talking about a people, a unified army, a group of people who would be a house of glory, that we would be glorified by God in order that we would transmit, that we would send His glory out to our community. You see, holiness, friends, is our gateway for accessing that glory. Isaiah chapter 6, we see the seraphim were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. They were proclaiming His holiness and then they were expressing His glory. His glory filled the entire earth. God's desire is that His glory would fill our entire earth. And my proposal to you is that He wants to do that through you and me. That we would embrace holiness, that we'd find a way to embrace the holiness Jesus makes available for us. He died that we would be holy and blameless, chosen before the beginning of time to be holy and blameless in covenant relationship with Him. Why? That the earth would be filled with the glory of God through you and me. Let's close by looking at some of these scriptures. In our prayer meetings lately, we've been praying through Isaiah, the end of Isaiah. Let's read from Isaiah 59. The beginning of chapter 59 expresses our need for God. Listen, Isaiah writes, The Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he turned away and will not listen anymore. That's a hard word, but we need to hear it. It's our nature, it's our actions that have caused God to turn away his glory. And yet, in Isaiah 59, he promises a redeemer. In verse 20 of Isaiah 59, he says, The redeemer will come to buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins. So if we turn away from our sins we can receive the redemption of God. And then he says this, Isaiah 59, verse 21, And this is my covenant with those who are redeemed, says God. My spirit will not leave them, and neither will these words I have given you. They will be on your lips and on the lips of your children and your children's children. I, the Lord, have spoken. What does this mean for us? There's a promise when we turn from our sins that we can receive Jesus and all his glory, but that it's a generational promise. It's a confession of Jesus that's on our lips and the lips of our children and our children's children. This is a yes and amen promise, but the good news gets better. Let's keep reading on directly below that. Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah writes this, Arise people, let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as the night covers the nations of the earth. Well, isn't that a word for now? The glory of the Lord rises and appears over you, those that are redeemed. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. Look and see, for everyone is coming home. Your sons are coming from distant land. Your daughters will be carried home. Your eyes will shine. 
Your heart will thrill with joy, for merchants from around the world will come to you and they will bring the wealth of many lands. This is a promise of restoration that God has for us. We must arise, we must shine, for the glory of the Lord will be upon us. This is what promises that God has for us. I just want to quickly look at Isaiah 9 in the second half. They're bringing people of Israel home. They will honor the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for He has filled you with His splendor. This is another confirmation that God wants us to embrace holiness so that He can fill us with His splendor, meaning He would fill us with His glory. Just scroll down to verse 13. My temple will be glorious, says God, because the glory of Lebanon will be yours. That which is in the earth that radiates God's glory will be ours to possess. And in that, God's glory will be all around us. And what about verse 15? Though you were once despised and hated with no one traveling through you, I will make you glorious forever, a joy to all generations. This is part of our inheritance in Jesus. This is part of our promise that we would be made beautiful, that we'd be made glorious by God, that through the glory of God that we transmit to the world, His joy can also transmit transmit to future generations. And finally, let's look at verse 19. No longer will you need the sun to shine by day nor the moon to give its light by night. For the Lord your God will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. This is God's promise for us. It's his inheritance for us. That as we come into a place of embracing holiness, we would see that his desire is to fill us with his glory. Why would we be filled with his glory? so that we arise and shine for the world to see the glory of God. This is not that we would be glorified, that we would be made famous, but that through the glory of God being demonstrated to the earth, the world would see God in all his love and his goodness through us. So I'm releasing this today as a prophetic word of encouragement to the church. Arise and shine for the glory of the Lord is upon you. Would you choose to receive this word today? Would you choose to embrace this word today? Would you choose to take it on board and say yes and amen? This is for me. I'm no longer going to shrink back. I'm no longer going to be pushed down. I'm no longer going to be overcome by fear and anxiety that's around me. I'm going to rise. I am going to shine. The glory of the Lord is upon me and I will be a light to those who need to see God. Come on, church. Let's rise and be glorious as God does his work in our lives. May God richly bless you if you receive this word today. May may the countenance of God himself be upon you. May you receive his joy as you walk in his glory. My prayer for you is that you would find a place with God in the world, that you can be his light to those who are in darkness, that you would truly shine his love, his light, his hope, his goodness, his grace, and his faithfulness. Go on. Be the light to your world. May God bless you as you go. Amen.